Hi guys, welcome to Striving Together, Conversations Worthy of the Gospel. This is your host, Jacob Young. I have the pleasure of being the lead pastor and planter at King's Cross Church here in Manchester, New Hampshire, and we are a church plant with Sovereign Grace Churches, which is why we're having these conversations. Right, the purpose of this podcast is really super simple. I have conversations with my friends in Sovereign Grace Churches because I want my friends and the people I love at King's Cross Church to get to know them. It's really simple. We're just going to talk about Jesus and talk about these guys and get to know them. And I am super excited for you guys to get to know these friends of mine in Sovereign Grace Churches because I want them to have an impact on your life the way they have had an impact on my life. So here's the format of what we're going to do. I'm just going to have an interview with these guys and then I'm going to break it into 15, 20 minute sections. I'll post those, you know, once a week, and then at the end of that time, I'll post a full interview if you want to, you know, do the long form thing. I'm really excited about this, and I hope you guys enjoy this interview today. Today, we're talking with Mark Prater. He's the executive director of Sovereign Grace Churches. Uh, Mark is an incredible gift to our churches, not just a figurehead that we put on all our coins and our dollar bills and our pennies with Sovereign Grace but he's a brother and a gifted pastor and a wise leader. I think you'll pick up on that through our conversation. Uh, Mark and I actually know each other from when Michelle and I were members of Covenant Fellowship Church in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. We were there for six years and Mark was a trusted brother and a dear friend and pastor. And he was actually very helpful and instrumental in helping us discern God's call uh, on my life for pastoral ministry. Uh, There were a number of times where Mark uh, through the different days and things that were going on, just great and very insightful biblical um, pastoral wisdom and helping us understand what God was doing with our lives. So I really hope that you pick up on that and that you grow to love Mark through our conversation. Jacob. Mark, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Good. How's Michelle and the boys? They're doing very well. Uh, So far as I'm aware today, nobody has uh, broken anything. um, And I believe (laughs) everybody's clothes are on for the boys. (laughs) (laughs) That's good for the boys. (laughs) We still have snow here. Do you guys have any snow? Nope. No, it's actually... uh... We got maybe three inches or so uh, a week ago, probably, but okay. it's all it's all melted. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, it's going to be pretty warm here um, next few days. Try to get rid of all that snow. But uh, you got a lot more snow than we did, though, right? Last week. Yeah, I I want to say I, it felt like ten feet, but it was probably more like two or three feet. You know. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. so Mark, thanks for taking the time to talk with me. Um, yeah. One of the things I, uh, I, I realized this morning is that, um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there are, between the, uh, between the Steelers and the Patriots, there have been a total of 30 games played, and they are tied wow. at 15 games each. Are you serious? Yeah. I, I was wow. amazed. They were tied at 15. The only slight advantage is that the New England Patriots have a total of 682 points uh, compared to the Steelers' 651 points. Um, so wow. that might be slightly deflating, but the Patriots are still doing 
doing pretty well, I think. Did you get to see the game, the 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 Super Bowl? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a crazy comeback. Yeah. <laughs> did you before we before we get into any of the questions I sent you, did you uh can you be honest about who you were rooting for? Yeah, I was rooting for the Falcons. Were you? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm a Steelers fan. Uh, well, we might have to end the conversation here, Mark. But, uh... <laughs> uh, Mark, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Uh, this is, as you know, this is for our church, and I just want to get them introduced to who you are. I mean, so if people were to look for you, they would know that you're the executive director for Sovereign Grace. But talk us through how, you, how did you get called into ministry? What did that look like? What's your story about how you ended up planting a church and then uh, as became the role that you're in now? Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks Thanks for um, wanting to introduce me to uh, the folks at, at King's Cross. It's, uh, it's a joy to do, and it's, it's humbling to be asked, Jacob. So thank you so much. Um, let's see, my story. I, I was raised in a, in a Catholic home. I um, wasn't a believer until college where I, uh, a friend had invited me to their church, and I heard the gospel in a small town, small uh, church in Converse, Indiana, of all places, a little farm community. Wow. Um, I'm from the Midwest, and it was there that um, um, Christ drew, drew me to himself, and over a period of time, I believe I was converted. It wasn't a uh, dramatic, like Damascus Road type of conversion, but over several months and was baptized there. Jill and I were married in that church and were members of that church for eight or nine years before, before moving. So, um, wait, so did you and Jill, did you go to church t- together growing up or? We did not. The, the friend that invited me to uh, this church was actually Jill. So um, <laughs> I, I went to, I went to this church, Converse Church of Christ is the name of it because I was interested in a girl yeah, uh, God had other plans, but sometimes God uses that yeah. <laughs> to draw people to Himself. So, oh, that's excellent. I didn't know that part of your story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, I um, before I was a pastor, um, and the reason we actually moved from the Midwest is I, I worked for a pharmaceutical company for fourteen years. I worked for a company called Wyeth at the time. They're they've been bought up and are owned by Pfizer now, and. Um, I was in sales and sales management, so Jacob, I sold drugs for a living, basically, and uh, <laughs> okay. and did that for 14 years, and moved from the Midwest to the Philadelphia area um, for a, a job change in within my company, um, and the home office was out in this area of Philadelphia. So a friend invited us to Covenant Fellowship Church, and Jill and I and our three girls walked through the doors of Covenant Fellowship in September of 1990. And have been a part of Sovereign Grace since, uh, which we're very grateful for. We we um, we had not been exposed to um, a charismatic or a church that believed in the gifts before, so we had to work through that. But what kept us coming back was uh, the preaching primarily and the gospel application in particular we had never heard before, and so our lives were were really changed. Uh, as, you know, as husband and wife, as parents. Can't think of an area of our life that wasn't changed because of the gospel centrality and the preaching and the gospel application in particular. Wow! Um, and if if you would have told me at that time that I would be a pastor, I would have laughed. I would have laughed uh, <laughs> right. probably arrogantly. Um, 
because when, in working for this pharmaceutical company, I, I just became very selfishly ambitious and was doing the typical corporate climb, just working for the next promotion. And even though I was a Christian, I, I really wasn't living for Christ. I was living for myself um, out of my own pride and my own um, idolat- idolatrous definition of success, which was all worldly defined. And it was here at Covenant Fellowship through the, the preaching of the Word, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and through the fellowship of the saints, really through a small group ministry, that uh, I just began to see my pride and my selfish ambition and my self-centeredness for what it really was, and was just convicted. So I just began to make some changes, uh, essentially made a, a decision not to accept a, a really good promotion within the company, which was, I was essentially being asked to be the assistant to the president of the company. Wow. And um, told him no, because I just didn't feel like that was the step God wanted me to take. Wow. And, um, was that actually, a decision? Uh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Was that a decision that you processed through with your small group? So did you bring it to the small group or your pastors and process it through like that? Or was it just between you and Jill? Oh. No, it was, it was, I mean, Jill was involved, obviously, but I, I talked with guys in my small group about it and uh, talked to one of the pastors about it before I took that step, because um, I felt like, I just wanted to make sure I was thinking about it rightly, and mm. um, they were all helpful, Jill. Wow. Um, it was Alan Redrup at the time that was pastoring primarily, Bill and I, and, um, and then the, 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 my small group, which I'm very, very grateful for. So I I did that. I was able to still work for the company, though. I mean, they uh, was, I worked for them for the next several years, and uh, it was around that time that there was just a, a stirring for ministry. And so I talked to the pastors here about it, and you know they took one look at me and, and knew I wasn't ready or prepared. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. And uh, they just uh, you know discipled me. They Bill and I were a number of a couple of different discipleship groups, for example. Um, they allowed me to lead a small group, a community group, for a period of time. And then they asked me to be, uh, what was it called? Um, uh, something like a community impact director, something like that. I forget what it was called at the time. And had some oversight of certain ministry teams that were mercy-oriented or evangelism-oriented. So those are the things that they either equipped me to do or gave me to do to be equipped to think about uh, church planning. And um, wow. so we talked about church planting and um, got to a place where they were affirming that uh, the guys on the, uh, on the pastoral team were affirming that it would be good for me to plant a church. And we just prayed together and, and thought Pittsburgh was the place we were supposed to go. Um, how did, so how did we, Pittsburgh come up on the map for you? Well, I think it had been, for me, it was, um, it was, it was prayer, partly. Um, it was also discussing it with the guys here. Because they had had a heart to plant in Pittsburgh. In fact, um, before Dave Harvey became the senior pastor here, he was going to plant in Pittsburgh until the transition happened from Bill Patton to himself, and then he he put that on hold. So it had been a desire of this church and of this pastoral team to plant in Pittsburgh. So I know that was another factor that got me thinking about it. But I would say it was really confirmed more in prayer um, or anything else. Wow. So we, we were... Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so we, we had alluded to the prophetic words earlier, you know, prophetic ministry. Did that factor at all? Did you get a prophetic word? Like, 
Mark, I see you, you know, crossing the Red Sea and planting a church <laughs> in Pittsburgh. Yeah, yes, it's, I'm glad you asked because I, I love I love to tell this story. Right. Uh, we did we did have some prophetic ministry as a part of um, of what God used to help us down this course of exploring church planting or pastoral ministry in particular. Um, so we were probably um, a couple years here at the church and. We're attending a small group, and the 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 small group leader, uh, our, our care group leader at the time, was saying, "You got to you got to come to the care group tonight because Alan and Linda Redrup are coming, and they have you know the gift of prophecy. They're just going to pray for people. We're going to have some prophetic ministry. We had never met Alan and Linda before, uh, but at this point, yeah, um, they didn't know us. We didn't know them, um, and we were still trying to figure out where we were on the gifts. We were. We were becoming more convinced theologically that the gifts were for today, but what it looked like still was unclear to us. And so there, we still had fear. And I can remember the day of the meeting, I'm at work at Wyeth, and I'm talking to Jill on the phone, and we're, we're talking about, should we go to this meeting or not tonight? And I said, okay, Jill, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to this meeting, and um, uh, if it gets really weird, I'm going to grab your hand, and we're just going to walk out. Um, <laughs> So that was our, our plan right. all along. Right, you had your exit we strategy. I had, we, had it, we had our strategy. So we went to the meeting, and you know, the people that we knew um, in the small group that were being prayed for as prophetic words came, they, they seemed really good, uh, edifying, accurate. And then they asked to pray for us. So Jill and I sit in this little love seat, and um, Linda's sitting a little bit closer to us than Alan. And she begins to pray, and she looks. She stops, and she looks at me, and she says, "Are you a doctor?" And I said, "No." And she looked at Jill, and she said, "Are you a nurse?" And Jill said, "No." And so she, Linda, leaned back, and she was whispering to Alan. And it's at that point that I, I grabbed Jill's hand, <laughs> signifying <laughs> we're about ready to bolt yeah. because the evening had been great until that point, and now I'm thinking now it's going to get really weird. Yeah. Um, but she turned back around and uh, shared a prophetic word that um, had to do with a potential call to ministry. What she was seeing was a uh, just me with sort of a staff standing among sheep, um, a, a shepherd's staff, I mean by that, uh, standing among right. sheep, and um, um, sort of a, an understanding of that to mean caring for people. Um, so the reason she leaned back and whispered to Alan is they were just they just didn't share prophetic words like that. They were very, very careful with them. And so she was just wanting to see if it would be okay to share, given that it was an evening in more of a public context. So he right. said, sure. And after that meeting, Alan came up and said, I don't think we've met before, but we need to sit down and meet. Can you come to my office this Saturday? <laughs> so we, can we, we can talk through this a bit. And the, the effect of that word, though, is that it really rocked my world, Jacob. It, it just got me thinking about ministry in a way that I hadn't been thinking about ministry. So. Wow. That's fat. I didn't actually know that story. That's great. And that, so that factored in ultimately into you guys uh, going on the church plant. Yeah, it, it got us thinking about uh, vocational ministry, and, and then that got us thinking about church planting. And we were, um, we were sent from Covenant Fellowship in um, August of 1996. And um, with a team of about eight other adults besides Joe and me and our kids. 
uh, to plant a church. So we had a small team, much like your your team, if I'm understanding it right. Yeah, that's actually it's the the time from your arrival from you know 1990 to 1996. So that's six years. That's how long Michelle and I were at Covenant Fellowship, and then wow. we, we planted with a similarly sized team, you know, three years ago. Yeah. Wow. I um, I'm glad uh, we plant churches like we do with you today, rather than the way that I did it. Um, so I yeah. I left my job at the end of May of 1996. Um, went on staff here at Covenant Fellowship, uh, so I'd never been on a pastoral team before. In June of 96, and over the summer wasn't here a whole lot. I was here some, but I was traveling. They didn't have the pastors' college, so I was traveling down to Gaithersburg. Uh, a lot during the week for what they called a school of the word. Oh, was it because um, I knew they had school of ministry, but it was school of the word? I think that's what they called it. Yeah. Maybe it was school of ministry, school nice. of ministry, school of word. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we got some basic theological instruction. Um, and then we moved in August of 96 and started services in October of 96. And I think I'd probably preached two or three times before then. Wow. So, um, I'm glad we don't plant churches like that anymore. <laughs> so, so you had preached maybe like three or four times before you were leading a church plant. Yeah, yeah, crazy. I I remember you telling me that at one point and thinking like, what am I doing all this training for? They sent Mark Prater out. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, it's because we did it that way that we're getting all the probably. Yeah, exactly. So you guys planted in the fall of 1996 in Pittsburgh, is that right? That's correct, yeah. And so, so talk me through the first few years of the church plant and how that went and highlights. Yeah, the, the church plant, uh, you know, I think was uh, one of the greatest privileges I've been given in ministry. It was a joy. It was also at the same time a lot of hard work, as you all know, we were meeting in the school, so it's the, the setup and the tear down every day, and we stored all that stuff in our basement the first couple of years because we, we had no storage at the school, and uh, so it's just a, you know, just a lot of hard work in, in that regard. A lot of meetings in our homes, which we loved, but our house was a, was a, was a busy place for that reason, and um, I can remember uh, a couple of years in, I think our church was probably about oh, 60 or 70 folks by that point in time. And when I left, it was about 160. I think it's about 160, 170 today. Um, we were probably about 70 folks two years in. I remember a, on a Friday night, I remember we had a prayer meeting in our house. And we had probably, I don't know, 40 people jammed into our family room. And we were finishing up the prayer meeting. And I pulled my oldest daughter aside, Tracy. And I said, I said, Tracy, look around the room. I said, there's a few people here that were not Christians two years ago. And there's most of these folks, they didn't know one another two years ago. Now, now listen, listen to their conversation because it was, it was joyful. It was loud. And I just said to Tracy, I said, look what God has done. Mm, and yeah. this, is, this is just a picture of that verse that says, it is the Lord who built this house. Yeah. Um, because I wanted her to remember that moment. Um, yeah. Yeah, we... And, there's a, a couple of the guys in the church, we've talked a little bit about that similar dynamic. And I've, re I've reflected, uh, I mean, like you're saying, it's a lot of hard work, but it is a privilege. Um, I've just, it's been such a privilege to be able to lead my family to be able to enjoy kind of the front edge of this wave of what God is doing in the church plant and to be able to 
tell my son, my sons, you know, uh, my oldest Owen, be able to point him to the people and say, you know, that man was dead spiritually a year ago and God made him alive and we're about to, you know, baptize him because what you're watching God do while daddy's going out during the day and all that. Um, and my, my kids love, they love going to the church plant and setting up and tear down and running around. It's just been a real joy to watch those moments happen. And like you're saying with Tracy. Great, isn't it? Yeah. So the, so the church plant was going well. And then what happened? Well, in turn, we thought we would spend the rest of our lives there, obviously. So we were there at, um, at Providence Church in Pittsburgh for six years. Um, and it was in the fall of 2001 that out of the blue, I got a, a call from Dave Harvey, who was the senior pastor at Covenant Fellowship at the time, um, saying he wanted to talk with me and ask me to pray about moving back to Covenant Fellowship to become the executive pastor to free him up to give more time to Sovereign Grace. He was on the Sovereign Grace leadership team at the time. So when he called out of the blue and said that, my first response was, I don't think so, Dave. Um, I'm humbled <laughs> right. you would ask, but yeah. no, because we love this church here and we love the people. And secondly, our, our kids are doing well, our family's doing well. And he said, no, I understand, just, just pray. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll pray. And so I... I actually waited five days before I, I told Jill because I just wanted some time to pray about it. And when I told her, I took her to a public place to tell her. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> right. To contain the response. <laughs> That's right. So when I told her in this coffee shop in the South Hills of Pittsburgh, she looked at me and the first thing she said was, now I understand why you brought me to a public place. When you... <laughs> I, That's one of the things I love about Jill. She just straight shooting. <laughs> She is. He's a straight shooter. So we, I mean, she had, she had initially had the same response I did. I don't think so, Mark. Um, but we committed to pray. So we prayed separately. We prayed together. And to our surprise, and I'm, I really do mean surprise, we felt like the Lord was leading us uh, to come back here. Um, and that was the hardest decision I would say today we've, we've had to make was to leave that church and to leave that group of people. And wow. So we had to work through a transition where we moved back to Covenant Fellowship then in June of 2002. Wow. And um, Mike Pearson uh, became the senior pastor. He had he'd actually went to the pastor's college a year or two before that and um, had come to the church plant in our first couple of years, first year or two, and then mm -hmm. eventually went to the PC. And he's still leading that church today. Wow. Uh, That's fantastic. Yeah. Wow. So that so talk us kind of talk us through how you went from being the executive or the executive pastor to now being the executive director. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, my life's kind of like that. If you would have told me I'd been in ministry, I would have laughed. If you had told me I'd be the executive pastor here, I would have. Or if I would have planted a church, I would have laughed. If I'd be the executive pastor here, I would have laughed. And definitely, if you would want me to be the executive director of Sovereign Grace, I would have laughed. Right. Um, I still can't believe I'd do this, to be frank with you. Well, you know, what happened with the, um, I was the executive director, or executive pastor here at Covenant Fellowship for a number of years. I don't know how many, probably three or four, um, which was a joy, a joy to serve Dave and this team, and, and I love this church. Um, still, I'm a pastor here and love being a pastor here at this church. The executive director um, 
really uh, happened out of the, the years of crisis that, and trouble that you're walking through. And, yeah. um, you know, it, I've got, I mean, one version is basically it was a battlefield promotion, which I think is very <laughs> true. That's what Tommy Hill would say. And it was kind of one of those moments like, all right, who's dumb enough to take this role right now right. in the midst of who's, trouble? Who's the first one that can do this so we can whack on him and figure this out? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but what had, uh, that was, actually, there's some truth in all of that. But, you know, what had happened in the midst of our crisis is we, we determined we needed a new polity uh, or a defined polity, not a, necessarily a new one, but certainly a defined polity, which that resulted in the the writing of our book of church order, which I'm so grateful for. And I really feel like it strengthened us. Yeah. And as a part of that, it called for an executive director. So CJ before was uh, the president. It was a bit of a change in title executive director. He chose not to pursue that. And so the, the board at the time um, just interviewed uh, two or three candidates. And to my surprise, they asked me to interview for it. So I was one of three guys. I think they interviewed and to my surprise, then they um, wanted to make me the nominee. And so I was nominated as the um, executive director nominee, I guess is the way to say it, and put before the Council of Elders. And for those in your church who don't know, the Council of Elders is one elder from every church in Sovereign Grace. Unless you're, uh, a church has 500 members or more, you can have two Council of Elder delegates. And so that had to be voted on. The the our BCO, our Book of Church Order, uh, stipulates that the executive director needs at least a simple majority of affirmation vote before he's put in the role. So that vote happened in um, May of um, 2013. Wow. If I remember right. And that was a unanimous affirmation, right? That was, yeah. I don't know if that would happen today, but that was at the time. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take it. Wow. That's excellent. That's an, I mean, that's an incredible story, Mark, just to think about how God took you from 1990, stepping in there to now being, um, now leading our, our uh, family of churches. Uh, that's, we kind of walked through these very kind of turbulent years, kind of figuring out who we are and what we're doing and moving forward. And at the Council of Elders this last year, you kind of laid out this vision of not only just kind of surviving or doing well, which is, I think, where we're at right now, but going on to thrive as a family of churches. I'd love to hear kind of what, uh, fill that out for me and then kind of talk me through, like, what does that look like for us right now? Like, so we're three months into you doing the, putting that forward as, for us at the Council of Elders. Um, how are we doing with that? What can we be doing better? I'd just love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah, thanks, um... Thanks for asking that question. Yeah, at the Council of Elders meeting, I I had said that if you took our last few years and you laid it on a continuum and you you broke that into three phases, crisis, stability, and growth, I felt like we'd come to the crisis, that we were stabilized and stepping towards growth, although I don't think really growing, as you used the word thriving, quite yet. And so really asking the question, what do we need to do to move from stability to growth or stability to, to thriving? which I think God has us on that, on that path. Let, let me just say, first of all, that as you look back over those few years, I, I don't want this to be lost. It, it really is remarkable that in the midst of all the trouble and the turmoil that we, we haven't lost our, our gospel centrality. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nor have we 
shifted in our our essential theological convictions. Um, and that could have happened. You know, we could have we could have lost that, and we could have shifted our theological convictions, but we didn't. And I just think that's the grace of God on our lives. Um, yeah. And if it, if anything, I think our our gospel centrality and some of our theological convictions actually have been strengthened as a result of the trouble and the trial. Yeah, I'd agree with so, that. Yeah. Do you agree with that? I, w- I would, yeah. I mean, I think that um, I think that we went, we, we learned how to apply not only the gospel centrality that we enjoy uh, to kind of our normal life, but then in the midst of the hurricane begin to, to anchor down and to apply the gospel a bit more uh, dynamically, potentially, um, to our lives and our lives together as a church, maybe, as a, and our unity together as a church. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's encouraging to hear. I think in terms of, you know, your question about how do we get to the thriving part or how do we get to the place where we're growing, and what I mean by growth is not simply, and I think this is what you mean by thriving, not simply numerical thriving or numerical growing, but actually um, discipleship that's occurring in our churches so that um, we, we are building happy, holy, godly churches. Um, so that kind of growth, growth spiritually is what I mean, um, I, I think is really, really important. Uh, it includes numerical growth, but it's not limited to that only. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, we, we've been kicking around as a, as a leadership team what are the steps we need to take to do that? And we've we've got a list of things. I'll, I'm going to mention some of them to you. I, we feel like that um, uh, we need to strengthen our our communication overall within Sovereign Grace as a as an organization, if you can say it that way. Um, because there, first of all, there's a lot happening, and we're not effectively communicating all of that. And then, secondly, what I think what, what I want, desire, what I'm praying for, is through effective communication, we can cast vision for truly being a global family of churches. Um, so the world's, you know, changed. I mean, we're, we're much more globally connected than ever before. And that opens up opportunities for everyone to reach every tribe, tongue, and nation with the gospel. Um, so I'm sure in Manchester... You've got the world coming to you, yeah. Um, and so you've got different nationalities that are there. Um, so we can fulfill the Great Commission whether we reach out to our neighbor across the street or we do travel to another country, or we do both. So seeing that we're called to be a global family of churches and fulfilling the Great Commission and communicating that effectively um, is something I feel like we need to grow in um, to get to that place of, of thriving. Um, and sort of with communicate, I link this to communications in terms of um, thriving. In what I mean by growing spiritually is um, starting to publish or produce and publish resources again mm. that can um, be be beneficial to our pastors and members of our churches. Um, so, for example, I think that we need a resource again on small group ministry. Uh, we used to have a book called Why Small Groups. Um, I think that's that needs updated or write a new one to just uh, explain the benefit of fellowship within small groups in the local church context as one example of that. That's um, excellent. Yeah. 
so that's something we have to do. I think the, the other thing that, I'm, that we're talking a lot about is expand the utility of, of the pastor's college. So the current model we have for the pastor's college of guys moving to Louisville for 10 months to be able to be trained in such a unique setting. I mean, you went, Jacob, you know what it's like. Um, it's not just academic or theological instruction. There's fellowship. There's pastoring of the students that happens there. Um, and it plays out in the context of a local church where you can see it somewhat lived out. Yeah. Expanding. I think we'll always have that model, but expanding it to, to more long-distance learning so that we can equip uh, bivocational pastors who can't take a, a, a year off work and keep their job. Or we, how do we train? We've got 20 churches in the Philippines right now interested in it being adopted into Sovereign Grace. So even if we adopted five of them, how do we how do we effectively equip those men to be pastors? Yeah, yeah. Um, so they need long distance type of, of instruction. Mm-hmm. Um, is what I'm talking about with the pastors' college. I think that's a part of being uh, a global family of churches to lay it into the bigger picture. Um, that's a part of it. We we've also got to figure out, and this is something I've given Rich Richardson to do, who's our director of global missions. How do we fund church planting and global missions efforts globally? So we've got right, a lot right. of clarity on how to fund church plants here in the States. Uh, you've got funding from Sovereign Grace and planting uh, King's Cross Church. Yep, but we're, yep. we're very grateful for that, for that funding as well. Super grateful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you're welcome. You're welcome. I mean, we're currently planting a church in Croatia, and we don't really have good clarity of how to fund that yet. Um, and right. we'll probably plant a church in Kingston, Jamaica, in the next couple of years. How do we fund that? So, and do you mean that I, is that because of, are there legal issues involved with transferring money across country lines, or are there other dynamics there? No, it's primarily it's primarily a, a, a budget issue. Like it's restructuring our budget. So, right, I we've got, got we've got you know a defined amount here in the states. For a church plant, some of that comes from Sovereign Grace Central, some of that comes from the region, some of that comes from potentially a church plant doing its own fundraising. Those are all pieces. Uh, we don't have that defined overseas, outside of the states. Um, so gotcha. it's getting a plan like that in place. And if Sovereign Grace Central is going to give money towards that, which I think we should, then we've got to restructure our budget somehow. And I think what that means partly is greater sacrifice on the part of our churches here in the States to help fund church planting outside of the United States. Um, simply because we just got the majority of our churches here in the States. You know, there's probably 70 or so churches here in the States, and there's another 12 to 15 outside of the States. Um, so most of the money's here in the States is what I mean by that. Right, of course. And it, the giving now is you know, some of that money goes to the region. Would would regional assembly of elders make decisions to help fund a church plant in Jamaica or Croatia, for right. example? As I mean to help fund it. Yeah. Yeah. That's I think we got an I think I got an email about that for our region, uh considering uh as a region supporting out of our own budget. Mm. Right. Right. So I think that, that with that that is not just a a decision pastors have to consider. I think members of our churches also um, having that global vision for what we're doing in 
expanding or advancing the Gospels, a better way to say it, around the world calls for their participation through prayer, um, through vocal outreach, um, but also um, being willing to serve on mission teams that would go overseas right, or you know, a short-term mm-hmm. mission team that would help serve a church plant. And then even to give financially where the Lord might lead. Um, and so we're trying to structure our mission fund so that uh, people can, members of our churches can give money to Sovereign Greece, but they can direct where it goes. So we've got a, like a, um, a global category. The money given in that fund mm-hmm. goes to work overseas. Right. That's excellent. That's really exciting. I mean, I love that we're trying to think about how we can sacrifice in our own budget for the sake of advancing the gospel to uh, to more accurately reflect our broader and global family of churches. That's excellent, Mark. I love that. Yeah, me too. That's, may God provide. Yeah, no kidding. So, Mark, I mean, you 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 on. know this, Jacob, and the members of your church know this. Uh, mission becomes more real when you have to sacrifice for it. Yeah, it takes a different, it takes on a, a deeper and different meaning when you have to sacrifice for it. Yeah, well, it's been. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you see this with with your role being able to see several avenues that the Lord is doing mission. But even locally, it's been amazing to me to watch. There's always this um, a bit of an anxiety with the sacrifice, which I think is natural. Of like, what's you know, I'm going to sacrifice either my time or my comfort or my finances, um, and what's going to happen? Because you're sacrificing, it's a bit of an unknown future because you're giving up what you've known. Um, I've always seen God uh, surprisingly provide, um, either in growing people in ways that you hadn't foreseen, uh, providing finances in ways you hadn't foreseen, or propelling the mission in ways you hadn't foreseen. Um, it's it's always just super encouraging of like, yeah, okay, God's going to provide for us. Like, it's going to be okay, but a part of the God's provision for us is calling us to sacrifice for the sake of the mission. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, wonderful thing. Mark, one of the things I wanted to, uh, you, you mentioned this earlier, you come out of the professional world, and I wanted to get your thoughts on, um, I know you're doing this, uh, business small group um, at Covenant. I'd love for you to talk us through what exactly is that and what does that look like for you? What is, what is that group shaping up to be? Talk us through what that is because I've seen it on Facebook and Twitter, but I don't actually know much about it. Yeah, thanks for asking. I, um, I've been leading what I call a, a business person, so men and women, uh, a business person Bible and book study here at Covenant Fellowship for a couple of years now. And um, I just I started it because I just have a heart for members of our church who um, are Christians in the daily workplace. So when I say business person, I don't mean a business owner. I mean anybody working in any vocation. Uh, I just have a heart to, to serve them because as believers, they face issues every day that they're challenged with to walk out their faith in the workplace. And um, not only are they... Um, potentially, you know, persecuted for being a Christian, but they face ethical questions. Uh, they face biblical questions when, 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 you know, when fulfilling their roles, uh, depending on what they're doing vocationally. And so I've been doing this for a couple of years, and our group is, is, has, um, is different sizes over time. We typically go to about 
six or eight weeks at a time, and we study scripture together, and we read through a book together. Okay. Um, and then we'll take maybe a month off and start another study and go six to eight weeks. So, oh, so six to eight not, weeks in a row. Is that what you mean? Right. Wow. In a row. Yeah, we meet on Friday mornings, uh, six to eight weeks in a row at 7 a.m. We try to be done by 8, 15, 8, 30, because mm-hmm. people got to get off to, to work, obviously. And what's really, uh, one of the things I really like about it, it's just a broad range of people. So we, you, you have in the current group I'm leading um, an electrician who owns his own electrician company, electric company. Um, sitting next to him is an attorney of a high, uh, high-powered attorney, basically, in a firm, big firm down in Philly who ne- negotiates or cease to settle um, suits between, multi-million dollar suits between companies. Wow. Um, sitting next to him is an IT guy. Uh, sitting next to him is a mental health professional uh, who, who counsels in, in that world. Um, sitting next to him is a her. She's a chiropractor in our church. Um, there's a, another guy uh, that is currently an attorney for Wawa, corporate attorney. Wow. Uh, there, there's been a, 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 a pilot for American Airlines. So that all to say is that that's the body of Christ. Yeah, I love that. I love it too. Yeah, I just love it too. And yet we're, we're, we're facing, as believers, they're facing similar issues in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And um, so we've, we've read through, some of the books we've read through are uh, Tim Keller's book on work, mm-hmm. um, which I would which I highly recommend. It's called Every Good Endeavor. Yeah. We've read uh, The Gospel at Work by um, Gilbert and Sebastian Traeger. Um, we've read of a, a secular book, uh, a book called The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. Uh, we're currently, uh, we've read a, 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 a more of a theological book, a, a worldview book, a reformed worldview book called um, oh, Creation Regained by okay. Albert Volters. Wow. A Dutch reformer. Um, and we're currently, we just, we'll finish up tomorrow, uh, on Friday, we'll finish up a book we're reading through right now called The Call by Oz Guinness. Um, those are just some right. of the books we've read. And um, so we read through that together and we discuss the books together a- along with scripture. And, and sometimes um, we'll get a bit off topic and somebody will have an issue they're facing in their workplace and we'll just stop what we're doing. We'll pray mm-hmm. for them. That can be some wonderful times of ministry. Yeah. Um, so guys and the the men and the women that have been a part of it, they, they just feel like they really benefit from it and it gives them truth and faith for what they face in the workplace. Wow. That's excellent. Are there any specific, specific topics that you guys have kind of regularly hit um, as a group? Because um, you guys have been doing it for two years now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I would say the, the things we've regularly hit um, – Keeping uh, a big picture view of work, meaning that, first of all, a reformed view of vocation. There's not one vocation better than the other. That God works through all vocations uh, as a big picture view. That God created work. Uh, work is not a result of the fall. Mm. Um, it was actually yeah. created before the fall. Right. And that regardless of what we do in the day-to-day as believers... What we do is really important, uh, not just for providing for our families, but it, it can bring God glory, and it can do good to the society we're in, mm-hmm. um, if seen rightly, if seen biblically. And yeah. so what we often go back to is we sort of elevate the purpose of work 
to the way God sees it, and it moves it out of the mundane and into the glorious, so mm. to speak. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that's really, really helpful. And those are regular themes that, I mean, I remember in my professional background needing help just seeing those categories of like, okay, this isn't just kind of like a product of the fall and I just kind of show up to do it. It's actually a part of bringing God glory. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you yeah, guys... We'll have some, go we'll have some conversation as well about um, just how to share the gospel at work. We've yeah, I was going to ask about that. Yeah, so what does that look like for you guys in that in that context to talk through that? It, it well, what we've learned in, in talking through it is, um, it, it like what we do with our neighbors. It really does come down to, uh, first of all, just being a presence in the workplace and people learning that you're a Christian, and then building relationally with unbelievers uh, in a way that um, opens the door for you to uh, talk about Christ or share the gospel. Um, it also we also talk about some of the limitations being faced in the workplace. So there's certain uh, there are certain law law firms or there's certain corporations. I remember one guy talking about just new policy uh, set by the by corporate headquarters regarding the sharing of faith. It was just basically taboo. You couldn't do that. Wow. Um, um, and if so, you could lose your job. And so what do you do in that case? Do you continue to share it and lose your job or what do you, how do you work through that? Um, and then how do you, how do you work in a place in a corporate environment that has a clear, has established a clear um, agenda for the gay community to be welcomed and be employees, which isn't a wrong thing necessarily, but how, how do you interact with all that as a believer yeah. And how can you even befriend those of the gay community? Hopefully, share the gospel with them within the workplace. As a result, right? So, talk a lot about that. Yeah. Is there is there any of those resources that you mentioned? Uh, do do any of those speak to that issue that you're talking about? Not that specific issue. We haven't run anything in anything like that. I would say the gospel at work probably had the best chapters about. Right. Sharing the gospel in the workplace. I thought that was probably the the best book we read on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's. I think that from my experience, there's a bit of it's. It's difficult to engage the question of like, what does it look like to share the gospel? Because I think uh, we get fixated on, well, have I shared, you know, the penal substitutionary atonement of, of Christ on the cross mm-hmm. for everybody? If I haven't, then I failed at sharing the gospel, um, and so mm-hmm. people can feel like they're they're defeated and their evangelical witness at work. Um, and so I love how you guys are approaching it. Of, um, and I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to know more resources along those lines. Yeah. There's another book we read called The Juggling Act. Um, it was written by a Christian who, um, let's see, his name is Pat Gelsinger, and um, was a corporate executive for IT company, and he talks a little bit in there about how he um, found ways to share the gospel with un with unbelievers. So that was that was helpful from a practical standpoint. Yeah, that's excellent. Well, Mark, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I I, I did want to um, visit the category of prayer because I know that for folks who know you, um, prayer is um, it's definitely a mark of your life, and it's something that you don't 
lead out with, but anybody who knows you knows that you are a man of prayer. And it's a category that I want to grow in. It's a category I think that we all want to grow in. I'd, I'd love just to hear um, your your practice of prayer, your history of prayer. Like, Because you mentioned the prophetic gifts earlier, which I'm, I'm sure interacts with prayer. But just your, how did you grow in the category of prayer in your personal life? Mm. Well, uh, I still feel like I'm growing in it. I yeah. still don't know if it's a strength. Um, yeah, I, all the all the humility <laughs> things you could say, I want to I want to acknowledge those and set them aside. Yeah, I think the the growth really came from um, seeing my own limitations and weaknesses and and temptations. You know, throw throw the sin category in there, um, and living aware of those limitations and weaknesses and and temptations. Um, help just see my daily need to pray. Um, and even since, you know, step, stepping into this executive director role, that's been one of the effects um, is uh, seeing my limitations and gifting and ability here or facing things. I just don't know what to do. Um, it, it, it stirred prayer. Um, believing that God's power is made perfect in weakness. You know, Paul talks about Second Corinthians 12. So I think that's what's fueled it a lot. Um, I, in terms of my practice, I, I pray daily, obviously in my devotions, I, I write things, I, I write a list of things I'm praying for every day. Uh, I typically work through, um, things like, uh, like right now I've been praying for several months. Um, Isaiah 26, eight, Lord, may your name and remembrance be the desire of my soul. And so really living for the, for the glory of God. I think about what Jesus taught us in prayer, let, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. So one of the ways I apply that is I pray that the gospel would spread all over the world and reach more people for Christ and that sovereign grace could play some small role in that, and make that clear to us, whatever that might be. Um, I pray, one of the things Joe and I have been praying um, is that this year has been that the Lord would teach us to fear him more. We're wanting to really grow in the yeah. fear of the Lord, so I'm praying for that. And then I typically pray, take some time to pray for my family yeah. and my extended family. Yeah. And then I I pray for grace to, to just live a godly, humble, selfless, self-controlled life throughout the day. I pray every day to be filled with the Spirit. Mm-hmm. That's what Ephesians 5.18 talks about. I need that. Um, and for God to do what I haven't planned. And then I'm praying for wisdom based on certain things we're facing as a uh, in sovereign grace or that we're yeah. facing locally as pastors, and I write those down. Um, and then I pray daily. Um, I pray for, uh, I, I'm aware of different pastors' trials and situations, so I just pray for them by name, um, whatever that might be. But then I'm, I'm praying a couple of broader prayers for sovereign grace every day. I pray that God would protect our churches. Uh, every day, and that he would hold back Satan's attack, and that he would deliver the members and our pastors of our churches from temptation. That includes myself, obviously. And then I I have a a list of churches I know that are facing financial struggles or uh, pressures, and so I pray that God would provide for those churches, Mm -hmm. pray for them by name, and pray for um, that God would provide for sovereign grace financially. Pray for that every day. And I'm praying, usually praying through some, some of the pastoral situations I'm involved 
here at, at Covenant Fellowship as well. Yeah. Those, that's some of what my list looks like. Wow. And what, did, what would be kind of like, do you have like special, I don't know, like hours or just kind of like marks in the day where you stop and you spend time in prayer? Yeah, I usually, I don't know if I've got, like it's just built into my calendar, but I typically take a, a break from work and when it's nice, I just, I just go outside and walk and I'll pray for even 20 minutes. Mm. I'll just go and pray. If I'm working on something, I'm praying about that. If I'm working on a sermon, I'll pray about that. If I've got a meeting coming up, I'll pray for that. Um, mm. So I, I, I'm typically doing that a couple to- at least a couple times a day, yeah. apart from praying in the morning. Wow. Are there any books or articles or sermons that you've heard that would uh, that have shaped or influenced your life of prayer? Well, my favorite book on prayer, and that could change, but uh, it's a book called um, Prayer and the Knowledge of God by Graham Goldsworthy. Mm-hmm. And wow. uh, it's, uh, as Goldsworthy does, he's a, you know, he does a biblical theology on prayer, and it just... Um, it just elevated my view of prayer as one of the effects that it had. Uh, and then um, Spurgeon, Spurgeon, um, The Power of Prayer in a Believer's Life was another book that really affected me. Wow, okay. Those, those two in particular. Wow. You know, to my shame, I've, I've never read either of those. Yeah. <laughs> well, I recommend them. <laughs> I've, uh, I've read, you know, I've, I've drunk the Tim Keller juice, and so I... I've read Keller's book on prayer, um, which is incredibly helpful, but I haven't read those, and I don't even know if I've heard them before. So that's really helpful, Mark. Mm. Yeah, it's. Um, is there is there a way that prayer has shaped your? Um, I mean, you're alluding to this with just praying for the churches, but leadership decisions with Sovereign Grace, or um, and obviously we're referring to praying through the decision to move back to Philly. Like it, it seems like prayer has has deeply shaped and informed um, your leadership and your, your decisions in life uh, in a way that's unique, I think. Um, mm. Is there anything that, uh, any particular leadership categories that you would think of that like, wow, like prayers really changed this for me as a, as a leader in my church? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, well, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, um, I, I know from a, from uh, on a on a local church level, prayer has affected the way I pastor people, and I've seen God answer prayers in ways that I know pastoral counseling alone wouldn't have accomplished. You know, it it uh, you see people change, and you were faithful to bring biblical counsel, but apart from praying for them, I don't know the counsel alone would have changed brought the change mm-hmm. that they've enjoyed. Yeah. But, that's one thing I've clearly seen. I think I've just seen God answer prayers in decision on a, you know in the sovereign grace role, praying through decisions about who should be on the leadership team and and pray and then decide and then uh, begin to work with that those those guys and just see why God placed that person on my heart and thought was the guy that was supposed to be on the team. I don't. Just to clarify, I don't make that decision alone. The executive committee, sure, sure, um, I understand that, which yeah. oversees what I do, has to basically they have the authority to make that decision to put the person on, but they hear my rationale for it, which is a prayerful rationale. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I've, I've seen that. I've just seen that happen. Um, 
And then I, I've just seen uh, God answer prayers in a way that he would work in, in ways we never would have planned. You know, so the fact that we're planning a church in Croatia is something we never planned. Yeah. But to see how God brought that about, just praying that we could advance the gospel outside of the States, not knowing how that was going to be answered. Um, and so in light of that, one of the things I pray somewhat regularly now is for us to have church planning opportunities in the northwest part of the United States because we just don't have much of a presence there. Not that we need to have a presence there. It's like, not like that area of the states needs sovereign grace, but we want to participate in gospel mission up in that area. Yeah. So I'm praying for that, not knowing how that's going to come about. Yeah. Yeah, that's excellent. That's really encouraging and uh, and mildly convicting, Mark. That's really helpful. Um Mark, I don't want to take any more of your time, but I, I do want to ask before we close, um, if you had one thing that you could say to our church, King's Cross, just, you know, we're, we've been here, uh, we moved here three years ago this summer, and we did our public launch a year ago this Easter. Um, if there's one thing you could say to our church uh, in these early days of the church point, what would you say? Well, I need to say two things, because i got to begin with just, thanking you, Jacob, and uh, Michelle, and your family, but, uh, but the people that came with you to start this church, thank you. Thank you for the sacrifices you, are make, you have made and you are making. I just believe there are wonderful rewards in heaven you're going to enjoy for eternity as a result. That's the first thing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I, I thought through this a bit, and I, I, I felt like this is what God laid on my heart, that you you would know that church planning is a joy, as we talked about earlier, but it's also a lot of hard work. And in the midst of all the hard work and the busyness of planning a church, make sure that you prioritize your daily relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm. Um, that, that the busyness of ministry doesn't replace that. Yeah. Um, and there's a number of reasons for that, but one is this. Um, and I, I'm going to borrow a, a, a phrase that John Piper uses. People want to be around a man or a woman who's been around God. And I think that's the, that's the fragrance of Christ type of language that Paul was using in his second letter to the Corinthians. And that's who you are. You're the fragrance of Christ in a community that um, needs to know that fragrance. And that's going to come from your daily relationship with Christ. So make sure you continue to prioritize that. And um, the people that God is calling to himself, those people will be attracted to you and want to spend time with you. So that's what I would say. Yeah. Well, thanks, Mark. That's, you know, I, I think that, that um, that's a timely word for me and I think for, um, for our church. You know, it is, um, as I watch the folks in our church, they're making a lot of sacrifices and, uh, giving a lot of effort to this, um, but our, our our little tagline as a church is loving Jesus together, um, and uh, it's a it's funny that's our tagline, but I often forget that in my own daily practice. So I, I appreciate the encouragement, Mark. That's really helpful. Mm. Glad I love your tagline. Yep, <laughs> I'm kind of a fan of it too. <laughs> 
Well, Mark, I really appreciate your time. I don't want to take any more of your, your time um, talking today, but really thank you so much for investing in King's Cross and thank you for leading our family of churches. It, it really is, it's a true joy to talk about our family of churches and to be a part of our family of churches because I, I just, I experienced the joy of God um, as we do this together. Um, so thank you for leading us, Mark. You're welcome. Thanks for doing what you're doing and planting King's Cross. And um, thanks for asking me to, to do this podcast, um, um, this interview. Jacob, it's really humbling to be asked, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, it'll be great. It'll, you'll get loads of hits online. I'm sure this will, get, this will skyrocket your popularity. <laughs> uh, so you just you have loads to look forward to. So. Okay. <laughs> Mark, thank you so much, and um, I'll see you at the Regional Assembly. Thanks for your time today. Okay, take care. Yep, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Striving Together, Conversations Worthy of the Gospel. If you'd like to learn more about King's Cross Church, listen to our sermons, read our blogs, check anything out, you can visit us at kingscross.church. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at podcast at kingscrossmanchester.com. By the way, the music for this episode is done by one of our worship leaders, Matt Litzinger. You can hear more about Matt's incredible music, get his EP, get all of his great stuff at mattlitzingermusic.com. So that's Matt, M-A-T-T, Litzinger, L-I-T-Z-I-N-G-E-R, music.com. Matt is the warm comfort you feel when you walk into your family's home for Christmas dinner. Have a great week. Talk to you later.